Welcome back to Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here, because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. In our first episode of 2023, I am joined by 24-year-old Carl Corcoran, who was diagnosed with lymphoma two years ago. As a young adult, Carl fought cancer in Beaumont Hospital after 12 months of undiagnosed pain. As a young adult at the time, Carl felt in limbo between being treated too young to understand the gravity of the situation and too old to be supported through the reality. His diagnosis came as a relief after knowing something was wrong for so long and his mindset immediately switched to fighter mode. Deliberately channeling positive energy into the world, he now uses his experience as a way to support and inspire others coming behind him. We talk about his road to diagnosis, the future consequences of treatment on his energy, fertility, identity and independence, and about his mission to be a leading voice for young adults fighting cancer. Carl, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Um, we have we've covered this topic. Well, we've covered, I suppose, this age before by talking to Nikki. Now, but she was, you know, she was a teenager. I think when she was diagnosed, she might have been fifteen or sixteen. Um, but I think it's so brilliant to have another guest on talking about that, you know, young adult experience of cancer. Take us back to 2019 when you began to feel some symptoms. And what age were you then? Um, I would have been 21 um, in that year. Um, so yeah, in the end of end of 2019, I would have never been sick or like, you know, the worst thing I would have ever had is like a cold. Uh, I would have shook that. But like me and my brother were and lads were like we were in work, we used to work in a hotel. I were completely like stricken down with like this uh, night sweats, body aches, um, you know, general flu kind of symptoms. So um, we all had that and we got like, I was just bed bound for like a week, which is, I suppose, like a bad flu, um, what we kind of guessed at that time. Um, and then, yeah, then I came to Stephen's day then in 2019 and I it got re- like really bad pains in my hips. Um, but then obviously, told mom and dad about it and they were like oh it's probably just aches from the flu um which I was like okay that um like I suppose checks out and then they went away I was taking painkillers uh which I would have never taken painkillers before like for anything um really I just that's just a personal preference I'd rather just treat the cause of the problem than just mask over it so the pain kind of went away with the painkillers and then it kind of just went away then for about a couple of weeks um without taking anything I was like okay great I'm over that sickness over the flu and then it would have been the end of probably middle of January end of January of 2020 now and I woke up one morning with like the most horrendous pain in my shin like the very middle of my shin so it wasn't like a joint or anything and I'd just been back playing football uh went to like first training sessions for the preseason. Um, but that was about two two weeks beforehand. Um and yeah, pain in my shin, immediately ran to the doctor, like I was crying with the pain. Uh went to the doctor and they said, I oh, will send you for an x-ray. 
um, and we'll do all the blood tests and everything just to make sure it's not anything to be worried about and then go from there. So I was like, that's grand, I have some sort of a plan now. So at this point, never even thought of anything bad like that or what I had in the end. And then went for the x-ray on my shin, nothing showed up. I did all the blood tests um, and the only thing that came back was my inflammation was ever so slightly high, they told me, but it was down to me being like a young active male. Um, they said it can be slightly raised. So I was like, hey, that, that, that's, I suppose, checks out. So then I was just put on anti-inflammatories to stop the pain. Um, but then the pain then started moving. So it moved up into the middle of my knee um and it just felt like my knee was like wanting to explode from the inside out um and then got worse and worse i was still working in the hotel at the time and i was just asking everybody while i was in work it's like do you have painkillers if i forgot any i was like do you have painkillers like i need to i can't keep going and um yeah then covid then hit so i went through kind of the whole of february just kind of it was just in my knee then covid hit and so everything was shut down and then the pain started moving back into my hips, eventually into my shoulders, into my and into my jaw. Um, and it'd go, it'd be like 10 out of 10 pain for 24 hours a day. At the very start, it was it'd move up my body. So I'd be in my knee, then it went into my shin, then shoulders. And then after probably about a month, then the pain in my hips would go away, but it'd be kind of twice as bad in my shoulders. And then my shoulders would go away and be twice as bad in my hips. And it's just kind of, you know, circulating around my body. But and what were you thinking was going on? Because, you know, you were a young, as you said, like a young, fit male adult, you know, playing sports, working in the hotel, which I'm sure means you're on your feet the whole day. Like, and you'd said you'd never really been sick before. So how were you mentally figuring this out? Like, were you sort of saying, just power through and it'll go? Or were you starting to get worried? Um, when it got to like the next few weeks and it got into my hips and my shoulders and I like it'd be to the point where I couldn't even raise my arm to brush my teeth and like I'd be just like trying to get some sort of sleep I'd only sleep for like two or three hours and then have to wake up go downstairs like crawl downstairs get a painkiller crawl back up into bed try get more sleep for a couple hours but because they'd done all the tests the uh, blood tests um and then by may then i'd had a ultrasound on my liver i'd had a chest x-ray and, and then i was finally referred to a rheumatologist and then all them x-rays never came back anything like it didn't like show up any uh, i suppose information or anything wrong um and the ultrasound did as well and yeah i went for the rheumatologist because then the doctor then thought it was something to do with my bones or my joints um and like completely by this time i she had ruled out like cancer or lymphoma or anything and so that i was still kind of worried but i kind of knew because i was about to see someone i was kind of like all right they're going to give me the answer mm. um then yeah i saw i saw the rheumatologist and he did more blood tests by this time i was sick of doing blood tests and um yeah, he had said that I had reactionary arthritis from the flu that I had before Christmas, but they couldn't actually, they could do some tests that they, if your antibodies are still in your body, they could find out what the the virus was or the bacteria was. Um, but because it had gone on so long, um, because of COVID and because obviously the tests they did before didn't show up anything, they couldn't identify what had given me the flu, I guess. Um, and yeah, he said it, the pain would go subside in about eight to nine months. Just keep taking the anti-inflammatories. Like you're just gonna kind of have to live with this. So I was like, okay, grand. Um, by this time I was still doing as much exercise as I could. So I was still going for walks. I was still trying to do as much kind of mobility and stuff like that and stretching. So I'd done sports science in college, so I was pretty used to like being active and playing football and everything. Um and yeah, and for my own head as well, I needed to get out of the house and move. Um and then that summer then I had gone you're allowed to go back to playing Gaelic and soccer and stuff, um within the restrictions. So training started back up and I tried going back up and with the pain in my hip, I was like, I could barely kick the ball. I was playing so I'd be naturally right footed, but because the pain in my right hip was so bad, I was playing left footed just trying to play 
some sort of sport. And then in June, yeah, it would have been kind of the middle of June, end of June, I woke up one morning with like a bump on my head, so in the top, just beside the crown of my head. Woke up and it wasn't there like the night before because I'd gone for, obviously showered myself, washed my head, and went downstairs, told mom and dad, I was like, I'm this bump on my head and then obviously the mysterious pains and they weren't going away and stuff um and yeah I thought again ran the doctor straight away and they were like oh well if it doesn't again because it was covid and because I wasn't the like I wasn't classed as like fatally ill because of all the previous tests and they didn't no one really wanted to see me um which was understandable given the time that we were in um but again you're kind of left wondering like what's wrong with me and nobody cares about me like you're just kicking the can down the road like just tell me what what's wrong and I'll, I'll do whatever to get better um so she said if it didn't move if it didn't change shape size or it wasn't painful then it was just like a benign thing um and of course then it didn't change shape size or pain um so because they because they'd done all the tests before they ruled out everything so they're like oh, it's benign if you wake up one day with a random lump on your head like you want to be seen you want somebody to check this out it's 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 something like whether it's yeah. benign or not it's still something you know i it's it must have been really distressing to feel like i'm reaching out here and no one can do anything yeah i'd like by this time by that june and after the bomb came up like with the pain and everything i'd have uh no I, I wouldn't I don't know if there are panic attacks or anything or something like that I'd I wouldn't know the exact like word to describe them, but I'd be just like hyperventilating with the pain I literally I was just like oh, all I want to do is go to sleep so I don't have to be awake feeling this um there, there wasn't anything to the degree of more serious things or anything like that but it was just like I just need to sleep I want this pain to go away and go back living my life because you know, I suppose with my friends and like society is like you're 21, you're meant to be living your life, you're meant to be going traveling and the whole point. I'd For that next year, when I turned 21, I was planning on going interrating by myself and traveling by myself and every like quit my hotel, you know, being independent 21 year old. Um, but yeah, obviously COVID happened, that ruined all my plans and then all the pain and everything and the travel restrictions obviously didn't help too. But yeah, by then that August, the pain had actually gone away so it actually subsided so the the bump on my head didn't obviously didn't change and then the pain in my shoulders went away the pain in my hips went away I had this kind of like dull ache in my knee but it was something I wouldn't it wouldn't hinder me um the, the only thing I couldn't do was like go down into a really deep squat or like bend my knee fully so like bring my hip or my uh, foot up towards my hips or anything uh, but I was still able to run around and play football. So I actually, I went back to soccer and started up. So I went back playing uh, soccer and played, I played two, I think two Gaelic matches, a soccer match, and then the training in between. Um, and yeah, then I, by this time, by August, then I turned 22. Um, and yeah, I, then I was like, right, I'm quitting the hotel because I'd done sports science. Then I was like, I'm getting a job in a gym or I'm, doing some sort of personal training or like strength and conditioning. Um, so I quit my job in the hotel, started looking for a job in a gym. And then the October, uh, then I got a job in a gym and started there. Um, but then the first week, then the pain came back more in my knee. Um, and I was like, well, I'm, after, I'm doing 40 hours in a gym. Um, like I'm on my feet all day. I have to exercise pretty much every day or like at least do some sort of exercise to show people how to do the exercises so it's like right it's just overuse but I, that was kind of looking back at it was kind of denial because I knew it was the bad pain again I was like right just keep going through it keep going through it and then we went into that third lockdown in November and I had to do online classes then uh, as part of the gym and I remember sitting in my living room I'm like I can't I couldn't bend my knee I could barely do the exercises um myself let alone like teach somebody else how to do it over zoom and uh then we came back and then i remember one night i went to bed i went to bed just like normal woke up. then i had a dream that i went downstairs i was the most vivid dream i've ever had in my life went downstairs went to the press where we keep all the medicine and stuff like that 
and just took the whole blister of painkillers. I was like, I want this pain to go away. And then I remember looking at the, going to the bin behind the door and being like, Carl, what are you doing? Like, why are you taking this? Like, something you can do something else than to do this. I vividly remember in the dreams spitting out all the, all the painkillers into the bin. I woke up and the pain in my knee was just horrendous. I was just pleading for an answer, somebody to tell me whatever it was. Because um, I knew like for this long, nobody has this amount of pain and not have some sort of diagnosis of whatever on the scale of seriousness it is. Um, and so, yeah, I went down, like upset to mom. Uh, his mom was working from home. And I was like, I need to ring the doctor, like I need something done. So I rang the doctor again and they then was like, well, we've done all the tests. We've ruled out lymphoma and leukemia. Um, nothing has showed up. I was like, and I want an MRI and got the call from the doctor. I was like, oh yeah, there's abnormalities after showing up in your shin, your knee and your femur. But the picture only went halfway up my leg because of the, the way the MRI works. Um, so you're going to the um, oncologist in Tullamore on Monday. So I had to go the whole weekend wondering like what these abnormalities were. Uh, went to the oncologist and did, again did more blood tests and the whole lot. And she said, yeah, you don't have leukemia, you don't have lymphoma, like your blood markers aren't showing anything. Um, and the, the MRI didn't, it wasn't like whatever way lymphoma shows up normally, it didn't, it didn't show up that way. Um, so we can refer you to a bone specialist uh, that week. So uh, went to the bone specialist two days later and he asked, were we able to get a full body MRI because the history of pain across my whole body at the, the lump on my head then as well. He was like, are you able to get a full body MRI? So mom's obviously said, yeah. Um, just coming into like the middle of December now, uh, by the time we'd seen everyone and got the day for scans and stuff. And then we, me and my brother were going out, we were, we were having our lads amongst our own friends, our lads Christmas party, we call it, um, the day before Christmas Eve. Um, and me and my brother had gone out to get our hair cut and uh, um, one of the lads as well, we went to get our hair cut for the night or whatever. And we came back about like five o'clock and I walked in the house and like the house was quiet. Now, I've, there was only mom and dad in the house, but usually like the, you know, the telly would be on, mom and dad would be talking or, you know, it's, there'd be just an atmosphere in the house, I guess. And it was quiet and I was like, something's wrong. Like what's happened? And mom was on the phone. I was like, why is mom having such a serious conversation? Like has something happened to one of her family or, do you know, has heard something? Because I wasn't, at this time I wasn't like, Worry, not worrying about me or anything, but I was like, well, I'm going to be seen by someone, so I'll be okay. And I went in the kitchen, and mom was like, st- like mouthing to me, stay here. And I was, um, I was like, okay, what's wrong? And she was like, it's the doctor. And anyways, had the phone call with the doctor, and he said, this is the bone specialist now, and he said, can we get Carl in that night? Um, because we have to admit him for a biopsy and to do more scans and tests. And... But he probably knew that it was lymphoma or something like something more sinister and he just had to do more like tick mm-hmm. more boxes uh, but he wasn't kind of telling us um at the time which is probably good for us because we did the vagueness of it all is is what's the worst thing about like getting diagnosed or especially i suppose in my cases of misdiagnosis the vagueness is what worries him more um so i was like mom i'm not going in this evening like tell him we'll come in tomorrow so went first thing on Christmas Eve and I missed Christmas Eve shopping with my dad and my brother and just our little tradition for the first time in like, I don't know, 15 or 16 years or something. And um, anyways, went to Tullamore, got more CT scans and blood tests, the whole lot. I don't even remember much of the day. And uh, anyways, got pulled into a room with the doctor and another like consultant and like two or three other people. And I was thinking, I was like, some somebody's making a fuss about me. Like, you know, I, I just wanted an answer and to just get better. Like, I, w- I didn't care what has kind of happened to me. Um, So he showed me the MRIs and the x-rays and whatever scans. He was like, oh, yeah, this is your thing. Because I, I did, I suppose, the background in sports science, I was fascinated to look at my own body. Like, oh, that's what, you know, it's inside of me. And he had said that it's 
uh, I don't know the exact word of it, but it was like histo something in there. And I might have to do like radiation for a couple of weeks, but it'd be all gone. And again, I was explicitly told it wasn't lymphoma and wasn't leukemia. Stephen's Day um, of 2020 then, uh, I was admitted to Tullamore. So I had to be admitted to Tullamore to get transferred to Balmans. Now, as I go into this, people will probably think like I'm some sort of crazy person because I was that sort of, not in denial, but like defiant of like nothing's going to don't stop me. So as I was walking and I wrote this down in my, in my, I started a journal then when I eventually found out that um, I had cancer, but I was like, I'm walking into the, into this place and I'm walking out of it. Like there's no, no one can tell me anything that I'm not walking out of these doors, whatever amount of time it takes. Um, and so I walked in, got admitted on, so the card, because of COVID, you weren't allowed outside the room or the ward, should I say, and the corridor is 48 steps long and I walked seven kilometers, or I think it was seven kilometers or six kilometers up and down the corridor because I was that like, I'm doing prehab before I go into the surgery. Um, obviously get myself out of bed, get myself fitter for being the other side of surgery. Yeah, ringing mom and dad and telling my friends and stuff and it's like, nothing's happening, I'm not going in yet. It's like, there must be some delay or emergency. I was like, sure. I was in my head, I was like, I'm going to be fine so I can wait however long. And yeah, then I think it was like 12, about half 12 or something. And the neurosurgeon came in and he goes, he came in with like, it might, well, it looked like about 50 people at the time, but it was probably about eight or nine people. And I was like, I've never been, this is my first time being admitted into hospital, like ever since I was a baby. So I would have no recollection of that. I was like, this is not what a biopsy goes like. Um, and he comes in, pulls the curtain and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, hi, how's it going? Like, I have sit up in the bed, like, you know, pleased to meet this and he goes um yeah so we're not doing a biopsy of your head anymore we're just going to do a surgery because we don't know what it is but whatever it is has to come out so we're doing a surgery of your head and we'll still do biopsy of your femur you'd be off your feet for i was told before i went in or like the first i was admitted that i'd be off my feet for two weeks and then i think he said six weeks then because they wanted to take more material from my femur so I was like, okay, grand. I, I was just like, okay, grand. Like, don't you know, when do we start, kind of a thing. And um, yeah, he went away, rang my mom and dad to tell them. Obviously, told my friends. Um, you know, and yeah, it was kind of like I obviously overwhelmed because I was like, I was like in my head, I was like, I, I was meant to be home on New Year's Eve on Stephen's night, so I was only meant to be for six, there for six days. And in the end, it turned out to be like a hundred and thirty something, I think. Um, and I was home on this is your first chance of really also being this independent person that you thought you'd be out traveling but here you are having to be an independent person having that curtain pulled across and this information relayed to you and of course you want to feel like you know I'm I'm in my you know I'm in my early 20s I'm a man I can take this but surely that's also still terrifying Oh no, yeah, it was like I'd like I'd have no, and what's good in my kind of immediate friend group is like there's no, there's none of that like of like toxic masculinity or whatever you want to call it. Like we we will cry in front of each other, we will say if something's upset, and like I'm not afraid to tell mom and dad that I'm upset or like cry in front of them or anything like that. So like I was on the phone cry like in heaps of tears crying on the phone mom was upset and dad was on the phone and he didn't even know kind of what to say he was just on the phone with me he was, like he I probably I don't even remember the exact conversation but I was like I remember just being in tears on my own in a ward on with like I think there was must have been five or six other people and they were helpless as well it's just like you know this young fella bawling his eyes out you know not knowing what's going to happen obviously they're going through their own things as well and Dad couldn't even say anything on the phone. I was just like, just stay on the phone. Like, I don't, I, they just came in, told me this and left. Obviously, they have to go care for other people. But um, I was like, oh, my God. Um, then, yeah, told my other friends, was on the phone to them for ages. Uh, then, yeah, I got the call. I was like, yeah, Kyle, you're going down now. Told mom and dad um, that I was going in. And then, yeah, then I, I was upset going down to the, um, theater room and to be fair to like the nurses and the porters and stuff like that they were like you know obviously trying to calm me down and make me feel somewhat relaxed and stuff and 
asking me questions just to kind of distract me, um, which did help. And then, yeah, I remember, um, yeah, then all of a sudden then I was lying down and I, I'd be quite tall. So the bed use was never uh, long enough for me. So I remember being like squashed into the bed or being transferred to the bed that they use for the theater room and being squashed into it. Because, like my arms were bent to my sides and my feet were too long for the end of the bed and stuff. And um, yeah, I went uh, went into it and then they were putting the thing on. And I don't know if I have some resistance to um, anesthesia or something, but I remember being like, this is taking longer for me to go to sleep than I think. Uh, it showed so I was there I was kind of I was fighting it because obviously your natural reaction is to fight it and then yeah all of a sudden then I was asleep and woke up didn't know where I was um I had the surgery obviously didn't know what the hell had happened to me or anything um I woke up had the surgery I remember it was my friend's um my friend's 21st was like two three weeks beforehand and I woke up and I thought I was drunk from that I was like Kyle you need to like sort yourself out like don't get uh, don't drink too much or whatever and then I was like oh no I'm after having surgery and I was lying back down but yeah I did, when, when you say it, like being terrified and stuff I was that like blindly in denial and defiance that I was like I'm walking out as you can cut my legs off if you want like I'm still walking out here like I I don't care what anyone says I was back on the ward then I was like I'm getting up out of bed I had a catheter I had a drain coming from my head to for the blood to get out and then they told me I would be off my feet for at least 10 weeks um because of the the biopsy on my femur and I was like I, I was demanding that the physio come into the room I was like I'm going to the bathroom on my own that was the first thing that I wanted to do I was like I'm going to the bathroom on my own demanded that the physio come in like waited hours because like lying there in the bed got up out of bed this was the day after surgery got up out of bed and like I had to prove that I could use the crutches and get to the bathroom. So I managed to do that. Um, then I was like, I need to get as much water and food into me as possible. I was like, I want this anesthesia out. I don't want painkillers. I want, you know, for, that was the first time when I woke up from surgery, that's the first time in over 365 days that I didn't wake up in pain. Obviously I was juiced up to the max on anesthesia and thing, but I was like, oh my God, is this what life actually feels like? And yes, I told the nurse to stop putting paracetamol into me. Um, yeah, demanded the day after then, demanded the physio come down, tell me I could, like, clear me, sign me off that I could go to the bathroom on my own because I wanted the catheter out. Then I ended up, um, I suppose this is embarrassing, but I'll give people in hospital a bit of uh, amusement, I guess. I was drinking so much water and usually nobody, they said nobody, I was known by the, the food porters as the drinker and the eater they'd give me extra portions of stuff because i'd i'd want more food and more water um i yeah i i was like i was like why can i feel myself going to the bathroom and i was like oh my god so i rang the bell and it ended up i'd ended up wetting the bed because i'd filled up the catheter bag because i was drinking that many fluids and they said that your man the, the nurse that came down was like uh, i've in all my years of doing nursing i've never had to once change this bag uh, because it has been filled up like over in such a sports space time so that was my I was just purely blinkers on just like I'm getting out of this bed and getting started on this like recovery I guess Um, yeah the day after then managed to get the catcher out and I had to wait another day to get the drain out of my head just for medical purposes Um, I had to get um the uh, what you call it the cannula out of my neck then as well and um, that was stitched in got all the cannulas out of my arms because I'd hate needles anyway so I was like just get these out of me do I need them get them out of me like I was just on to the next thing on to the next thing and yeah I ended up then I was like I nearly made the woman cry over the the bed across from me because I was so determined on being independent I, I'd woke up with 65 staples in my head I was like I'm getting up going to the bathroom I'm getting up walking I'm taking care of myself um, and yeah, on the 4th of January then, 2021, I was meant to be going home the next day. So they told me originally that I was going home on New Year's Eve. But then because they did the surgery, they said you have to stay an extra week. I was like, OK, that's, you know, fine or whatever. Um, I'll just have to live with that. But um, yeah, this was Monday. And then mom and dad, I'd rang mom and dad. And I was like, I need more clothes just in case they tell me I have to stay an extra day or two or whatever it might be. 
and um there was only me and i think two other two other men left in the ward because people had had their surgery and moved to wherever they needed to be and yeah then there was a kind of a commotion outside the room so when i say room it was like the ward but it was like a huge room with six or seven people in it and uh, because of covid then they had to shut the door and gown up and everything else like you know it was almost like a novelty that somebody came in because you're just sitting there on your own doing nothing and um yes they um the doctor came in with one or two of his team and i was sitting on the bed at the end of the bed having my brown bread and jam and i was sitting up and this was this was yeah how many days after like four or five days after surgery i was sitting up on the end of the bed and he goes carl and i'm like yeah and he was probably almost surprised to see me in like i was out of bed and i was so young and stuff um he was like yeah so the biopsies to come back the tests to come back you've high grade b-cell lymphoma you're gonna have to do at least four rounds of chemo and maybe up to six depending on how you react um and I told I was like okay Grant like it didn't hit me whatsoever I was like okay Grant when do we start like I I was just that focused on like okay let's go like do we start tomorrow or a week's time or whatever as soon as then he said that I had lymphoma I, I told him thank you and I was like and when do we get started like it was just pure relief I have an answer he told me then the type that I had usually uh, occurred in older people so like um 60 plus um and their survival rate and like rate of recovery and stuff was was pretty high so i was like well i'm young i was fit before i came into this um and obviously that just fed into i suppose the bias that i already had that i was going to be okay no matter what um so yeah it was just pure relief like there was no there was no at the time there was no like my life is over um I kind of looked at it as a almost a gym program. Like when he told me, it was like, oh, yeah, you'd be like kind of three or four weeks in, then you have a week off, then you have another three or four weeks, a week off. I was like, right, it's first day, instead of doing squats, I'm doing rituximab for an hour and then fluids afterwards for like three. And then the next day was a different day in the gym. Or, you know, I just, I was trying to put spins on it and, and stuff like that. And, I was just like, uh, because I think I was the youngest person on the ward as well. So I was the youngest by a good like 30 years at least, um, like the closest person to me from purely guessing. So apologies to anybody that was on the ward at the same time as me that was younger than this. But I was like, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids to be worried about. Um, so, you know, my job's there when I come back. Um, so, you know, I'm not really missing out on much because the pandemic was still happening pure like just get to the end of this like end of this day almost and then the next wake up the next day and I was like right let's go again let's go again let's go again and yeah I just I wanted to just be put out positive energy to the nurses so they passed it on to the next room and then hopefully and even like giving the nurses I suppose good energy and stuff would help them care better for the people in the next room and obviously care better for me as well like I want them to you know give me sweets and the whole lot so um yeah and to be fair, like everyone on on Teresa's was like amazing at that like didn't there was no like when I lost my hair there was no judging me there they knew exactly when to leave me alone if they knew I was kind of you know a bit upset or I was in a mood and pissed off they knew like okay Carl's a bit, um, you know, angry or not angry, but you know, just wanted to be left alone and left to my own devices. You know, genuinely, it was like I get to live away from home for the next few months. I get everything handed to me: food, water. I can watch telly in peace. I can go on my laptop. I can watch series, read books. Do you know, and like, don't get me wrong. Like I hated at the same time missing home and missing my own bed missing my brother, missing my parents, like gone out with my friends, like missed that. And many nights where I'd be upset, I'd be like, God, I just want to go home. Like just, I'm not even, I just want to go home for one night and just let me sleep. And then I'll come back tomorrow and get going again. Um, so yeah, like, I, but yeah, at the same time, I still say I've, I never had a bad day in there. Like I had days where or weeks I wouldn't eat. And um, I don't think I slept 
during the whole uh, thing, uh, the whole the treatment because of the beeping in the machine and or the pump, uh, you know, the bed was tiny and stuff like that. But I still say it was like it was just one day of closer of being better. And I, I know, I know, I'm, I'm in a, I suppose I, 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 I wouldn't want everyone to call lucky and stuff like that in in cancer diagnosis because no one's lucky to have cancer, like certain types of cancer, but. Um, that I knew I was going to be okay, regardless of my mindset. Like the doctors still said, "Oh, you're going to, you're going to, um, be okay." But I remember the the hematologist like, "Oh, you're just going to remember this as a as a bad dream." And I told I literally told him I was like, "No, th- this will not be a bad dream. Like, I'm going to have fun. No one's going to tell me I'm not allowed to laugh. No one's going to tell me any negative things or come in with some pity party." And like get me all down. It's like I'm enjoying what I have. I know I'm going to get better. Hopefully, I can help someone else make their time a little bit easier while I'm in here. Where do you think that came from? That like spirit within you. Um, I I don't know. Like, I'm, my parents are are very much. I think my dad's very much like, like get on, like not get on with it in a bad way, but like you can't change it. So you may as well have fun doing it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, no matter what situation we've kind of been in. And even before this or like whatever does be going on in the world or anything, still there's laughter involved. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, and yeah, we do have times where obviously we're allowed to be upset and stuff like that, but there's no time for like feeling sorry for yourself. It was like, right, make the most of it, like, um, and stuff like that. And I, um, yeah, it was, just, I was just like, again, that just blinds defiance and denial that nothing wrong was going to happen to me and I remember the CNS coming up to me and a couple of the other nurses obviously were obviously asked by the other staff to be you know maybe catch me off guard whatever but they came in after my first round and I flew through the first round like I was having the time of my life I was in room seven which is one of the big rooms on the wars I was I was rehabbing myself uh, from my knee um, yeah, I was getting food delivered. Um, I got any sweets I wanted um, delivered to me. You know, the whole lot. People are obviously outpouring. They're like, oh, what can we do? I was getting cards sent the whole lot by my friends, um, which was really good. And people on, in the, on the road, on the estate as well. Football team lads sent me stuff um, and everything. So I was like, what's, you know, I have nothing to be worried about here. So like I may as well gonna have fun doing it. And again, as I said, like if I can have a laugh at the nurses, they can go back into the next room and be like, Oh, did you hear what that lad did or that lad said or stuff like that? And uh, like it was just pure, like almost chaos. Like I don't I've I don't know if I should share stories and get people fired or not, but <laughs> but again, that comes from the nurses themselves being available to do that for me. So like they were able to read me and be like, Okay, you're wanting you don't want a pity party when you come in or when we come in and like they have their own lives as well like god knows what's going on in their lives so i was like right i'm gonna help them because they're here for 10 11 12 hours and obviously you hear all the stories of nurses not being paid enough and conditions and the whole lot so i was like sure if i can provide a bit of crack then sure that keeps gets me out of bed in the morning and keeps my day rolling over so it's not going to take away your smile and i say that for not even uh, for people dealing with cancer like whatever situation you are with cancer like don't let anything take away like that moment in time where you can still laugh with my mom and dad or like even to this day and it's nearly two years on my dad and my brother still say I'm doing this for attention and I completely and I completely made it all up but like to another I suppose outside person that's probably mad or like why Jesus I feel sorry for that young lad but that made me laugh we'd be like oh what are you upset about today there's nothing wrong with you like you know and stuff like that and that's just what I suppose got us through it all and um like I've done I've gone to counseling after treatment and stuff like that and actually started processing things um on the whole lot so and how many days was it did you say in total then when you finally did walk back out I think it was I think I can't remember now it was either 128 or 135 and I think 90 three of them where uh, I was like hooked up to chemo and like your home and 
yeah, it was yeah, it was just kind of like, at the end of it, it was kind of like, oh Jesus, that was probably the worst bit is like coming back into civilization. Like the easiest, like the hardest part I've ever been through was the whole of 2020, not having an answer and all the pain and like not seeing people as well because of COVID, um, you know, not being able to brush your teeth and stuff like that. That was the worst part. Whereas in hospital, I was like, I get to be an almost experiment on myself of I get my rehab myself back to walking and um, like see what I can do physically and mentally. I can learn so much because I had so much time doing nothing so I can read books and the whole lot. Like it, I, I just I wasn't going to let it affect me in a negative way. It, it did. And I did allow myself to be upset and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not saying that I, I was just like this happy go lucky person sure the whole lot of it but um yeah it was like it was hard don't get me wrong but at the same time it was just i'm getting this done you know canteen ireland is a nationwide support group for young people between the ages of 12 and 25 years who have or have had cancer the charity aims to support develop and empower young people it's about young people helping each other out encouraging each other and working together to overcome their problems and difficulties as you've heard from Carl, the organisation and the people he has met there have been a huge source of support, information, comfort and fun while he gives his body time to heal and figure out what's next. You'll find more information on how to get involved at canteen.ie. A cancer diagnosis makes you start considering, well, what do I want to get out of life and how can I protect my body and what is this treatment going to do to my body how how was it, I suppose, explained to you and how did you process like what's gonna happen next? Um, so yeah, the when I got diagnosed, they like that almost conversation happened in the same time. So mm. they told me I had lymphoma and then they said after this chemo, because it's so intense, you're not going to be fertile, so you're gonna have to do the preservation stuff. So I again I didn't think of it um at the time. Clinic came back to me. Uh, after I did the preservation, I was like, yeah, your samples are all okay. Um, you're good to go with treatment and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then they explained like, oh, after 10 years, you have to we do it for free storage for 10 years. And after 10 years, you have to pay so much money after. I was, I was like, and then they were like, oh, you're probably looking at about 6,000 euro to go through treatment or the IVF stuff. And I, on the phone, I was like, yeah, I was like, to be honest, I don't want to hear any of that. Like, I don't that right now. I'll ring you in about 10 months time when I'm done all this and see what the crack is then. But I was like, right now, I don't care about it. And to be fair, the woman on the phone was like, lovely. She's like, I completely understand. Like, we're here. Just recall this number and we're here anytime you want to explain it. So I met my girlfriend Leah after treatment. I got told I was in remission in June of 21. And then... Uh, we started going out then kind of September, October time of that year. And I suppose, uh, and telling that to her, I was obviously, I, I was comfortable telling her because I trusted her like at the time with the information. I didn't think she would judge me or anything like that, which she obviously didn't. But I remember thinking like, come like almost leading up to that conversation, I, I was like, how is she going to take that? Or like, even during the summer when I wouldn't, mean I hadn't met you or anything, I was like, how how do you even go about telling somebody that like, oh, they they have no choice but to agree to IVF treatment in however many years you decide to have kids? Um, but yeah, like people say, oh, is that was that a difficult conversation? Like, the thought of it was, but I suppose when you meet the person that you do trust with that information and your story, then it's not a hard conversation because you both understand each other. But yeah, I do get the the the, the thing of like I had nowhere to tell you. I was like, oh, you could go to this website for more information, or um, like it was completely just up to my understanding of what they told me, like what it was or how it goes about and stuff like that. And yeah, like I suppose that's hard obviously I'm not looking to have kids anytime soon so that would be like further down the further down the line but yeah it is uh it wasn't kind of it was explained but at the, the timing of it was probably wrong like you mm. know probably leaving hospital is probably a better time to go through okay this is what's happened to your body not even in the fertility 
um, I don't know how do you say component of it. Um, but just in your overall life, like I, as soon as I got out of hospital, I was like, right, I'm meeting all my friends. I'm going out. I'm walking. I'm going back to the gym. I'm doing the whole lot, and then you end up crashing and stuff like that. So even not within the fraternity realm of things, your whole what's happened to your body is still not affected. And like doing counselling stuff was a year on from me getting in remission over a year on and uh she was still like uh you're, that's that's your cells are still recovering from what happened to you and the way the chemo was explained to me was uh was like we physically couldn't give you any more chemo like that was the highest dose we could have possibly given you um and they didn't the sounds of it they didn't really know if that didn't work they didn't really know what else to do if that didn't work you know and like for men it's just like oh well you don't necessarily like make the baby or anything so it's just yeah you're just like oh well you are you aren't and do what you will with that information um so that's been kind of probably tough to hasn't been tough to process like in terms of like oh i am fertile or not fertile um but uh, how you go about um like I suppose getting a baby and like that process and things like that that hasn't been explained whatsoever to me um it's just exp- explanation of fertility your own body regardless of that even um probably could be better and the timings of it as well and um, probably could improve too it wasn't explained to me like the physical effects and the mental fatigue as well like I'd be on the gym floor and I'd be like slurring words I wouldn't be able to make sentences because I'd just be that drained of doing things and I need to sleep like I need to recover so yeah eventually that had caught all caught up with me even after adjusting the hours and stuff like that um and yeah I stopped working again in November I'd just gone there and now I'm going through all this disability allowance and illness benefit once again and all that kind of thing so even a year and a half on I'm still having to deal with the effects of like the fatigue and everything like that. And like, I want to move on from things. I want to get better. And I don't, I don't like if fatigue's a part of my life, that's okay. Like I know how to deal with it, but I've had to just completely learn it by myself and my family telling me because I'm stubborn in a way of like, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And that's what got me through treatment. But obviously it's a disadvantage in the, post-treatment and um, was like no you need to slow down like you need to actually recover and let yourself heal from it and like that was what eight months after I finished the most intense chemo I could have asked for if I asked for it I was back waking up at five o'clock in the morning telling people how to exercise so mm-hmm. you know it's a quick turnaround of things but that was I was slightly under pressure with the financial side of things and then I felt okay at the same time and I wanted to go back and I wanted to like, again, prove to myself that I'm going to be okay and, and can do this. And yeah, even to this day, still struggling with, if I go on too long of a walk, my knee aches because the rehab side of that, said, uh, I was told then it'd take about two years for my um, quads to recover and my leg muscles to recover. Um, yeah, it was like, and you're still doing it. And then throughout the whole of Christmas then, because the application process takes so long for or like to even hear anything back from disability or illness benefit or like get form signed and send things to a doctor so they send things off whole of christmas i went living on like whatever savings i had of um the what i worked up but then at the same time because i was working so little hours and the cost of going to work and stuff like that and life itself you can't even save up for much and then the whole of Christmas, I'm asking my parents for money. I'm asking my brother for money. You know, and then you're constantly reminded, it was like, oh, I, I can't be independent now because of something that happened to me two years ago that I have no control over. Um, but in the meantime, like this week, I've been awarded the illness benefits and stuff like that. So, um, And it, it was all backdated and stuff like that. So I suppose that's, you're compensated that way. But at the same time, you're still, even though the treatment's done, you're still left with the like internal trauma of it all like as the count counselor says like it's still in your cells and 
do you know what it is? Like, like going to scans, like a, co- a couple of months ago, I got so upset at going to an MRI scan just for a checkup because they put the cannula in my right arm and it reminded me of putting the pick line in my arm. I was like, I, what the hell was going Like, how did I go through that at the time? Do you know, there was a time of Halloween when there was a house alarm going off because of obviously all the fireworks, but because of the way the sound was, it was like the beeping of the pump. And I went into the bathroom to like brush my teeth and stuff and then saw the scar on my arm. And I was like, oh my God, it feels like I'm gone. Like I'm in the bathroom again with the pump beside me trying to brush my teeth and stuff like that. And then you get upset. That's so it's like so many different ways that it affects you, but it's never explained. Because of your age, like if you were a few, if you were diagnosed a few years younger, those kind of supports would be there because you would be classified and, and treated within a kind of a children's hospital situation, you know, with other, you know, young, you know, teenagers. But but there would be a certain kind of feeling of like you're not just an adult who's supposed to be able to figure this out. Yeah, you're caught in limbo between the two. So like you're neither you go into a, a hospital appointment or like even the doctor trying to get diagnosed you go into the specialist and they're still talking to mom or they're still talking to dad. I was like, hello, like I'm 22 years old. I understand the world a bit. Like I've finished college. I've done a degree in science, in aspect of science. So I understand the lingo, what you're trying to say to me. And then, but then when you're, when you're trying to ask questions then independently, again, your answers, they're answered back to your parents or like somebody rings my parents or, yeah, and then you're not like old enough to be dealt with yourself and stuff like that. And like, it's still a scary place when you're 20, 21, 22, 23, but I'm 24 now. And it's still daunting to go up to hospitals and scans and stuff on my own. Um, and like slowly that's gone, gotten better um, in certain things. But yeah, it's still like, still talk to me, but like my mom's here for moral support so I don't break down or like if I do break down, I have someone here with me, but still talk to me. Um, yeah, and all like the the play therapies for kids, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I do coaching with both kids and adults and I still do the same uh, kind of aspects of training. Like no matter what age you are, you're still meant to have a laugh. You're still meant to like play. You're still meant to have fun. And that's what I suppose going back to when I started treatment, I was still I was in that mindset of like, you're not telling you're not gonna tell me I can't have fun. Like, please tell me I can. So it's like it's a release of emotions and getting through stuff. So yeah, you're caught in limbo of like you're not young enough for your you're not young enough for like to go through your parents as such, but then you're not old enough to be explained to what happened to you independently and stuff like that. It's it's hard to explain, but yeah, you you definitely are caught in limbo. You're too old to be offered this kind of level of emotional support, but you're too you're still considered too young to be trusted with the information and the gravity yeah. of the situation. Is that what you're bringing forward with your work in canteen and how you you feel like you can try and make an impact there? Um, obviously, canteen is great because we can go to their workshops and you can meet people that have gone through obviously similar things that happen to you and like we'd be at um like we had our christmas party there and we we're meant to be doing a table quiz but at the table there was me and like f- five or six other people and i was asking them completely forgot about the quiz but it facilitated space for me to ask oh how did you get on with disability allowance i just stopped work what's your energy like how many years are you post treatment and it gives that space to be like okay I'm I feel okay and I can go tell my parents it was like oh well so-and-so feels the same way or felt this way after treatment or this way about work and this person's doing full-time hours this person's doing part-time hours this person's applying for disability and stuff like that so yeah it was like there's no almost role models I guess for lack of a better term Uh, but there's no everybody knows if someone asks like oh you go into the pride parade it's like oh yeah that's in June or, you know, whatever it might be, darkness into light, everybody knows that's in May and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's what I want to bring forward to society and especially the conversations around cancer, because I think it's almost easy to do if you're like older, because 
you can relate to other things like again as I said mortgages and kids or if you're a child like you're still in school and there's supports there I know there is a lack of supports and stuff still there to going on just for my own work in like research projects and stuff like that but like there's no like I'd be walking on my week home or my weeks home from uh, treatment I'd be walking down the canal and people would pass you and go oh hi and just you know keep going I was like okay like to be fair I did want to be left alone or like whatever way I was going but then you'd hear they'd ask one of the neighbors who like are a good family friend it's like oh yeah I saw Carl down the canal he's looking well like how's he getting on or how many things it's like just ask me when you see me like I can tell you how I'm feeling right there and then if I do lie and say I'm grand and I'm not then that's whatever but you know don't go through and then you know then words not where I'm not saying that people were like malicious and like telling mm. wrong stories and stuff but, you know oh I think he said he was all right or I think he has two rounds left where whereas I might have had three rounds or I have one left and they said oh two and then you meet the same people and he's like oh such and such said you were doing well or you did this that and the other you know and there's no conversations around how to deal with that or even support from my parents as well absolutely like zero they were like mom and dad I remember going to Kayas last year and the year before as well um but this is the last year is the first time that people could be actually present there I remember um mom coming home but like god I would love to talk to Max's mom because even though Max is like 10 years younger than me it's like I'd love to ask her about like simple stuff like the forms for uh getting support all that kind of thing but then it was it wasn't mentioned at all when I was in hospital um because I was treated as an adult I was like oh well my parents don't come into the equation because I'm not young enough to be but I'm old enough to be an adult but does that automatically mean I don't have any other supports like you know I'm still a young person so like in an art center that's viewed by everybody as if you've been directly involved like so if you've had cancer that that's the place you go to but even though they, they do offer obviously services for like siblings and everything like that but it's not known to everybody in society it was like oh yeah even if somebody can't help you can go oh well uh, I heard Eric are doing a family support thing um down in wherever location it might be so then you know they get their support from there and you know only for me coming back with stories from canteen gives them probably any sort of relief that like we're not in the same or we're in the same boat as a lot of other people and um, but again if I wasn't so actively involved in that like I don't know where I'd be and I don't know where they'd be um in all this the best direction that always comes is from people who have walked it before um like the parents that set up childhood cancer Ireland because they were parents of children who've yeah. gone through this and I just feel like that is the best way for change to happen for for real meaningful support to exist having people like you figuring out what was missing for me and where are the gaps and how can I make sure that those coming behind me can be better supported as a result um and sharing your story is one of those ways and advocating as you are and holding conversation and educating, you know, as you said, your community around like how to talk to me, how to treat me. Um, all of that will make such a big difference. And I'm so glad that you've kind of for a young man, like to have the pride and the courage to be able to kind of continue that work, because I'm sure it's tempting enough to just run away from from that period of your life. But I feel like those periods of challenge and struggle can often lead to the biggest breakthroughs. And it sounds yeah. like you're at the beginning of that. Like I, I, I like a lot of things probably uh, with your own identity going through this as well. Like I, I had almost a life before cancer and I'd say not even before like cancer itself, like before 2020, because that's when I had cancer in my mind. I didn't have cancer when I was in hospital. But now I've to completely redo my whole life. Like I'm still involved in sport and coaching and the whole lot like that. I can never play football again competitively. Um, you know, I can't go to the gym and do the same kind of things I I wanted to or I used to. Um, 
you know, I have to second guess myself at concerts now if I want to jump up and down because it's like if I fall over and I hit my head, you know, what's going to happen there? Um, if I jump up and down, is my hip going to break from necrosis? So, you know, all them things. So you're almost like I'm almost doing it for me and my family in 2020 and 2021. And I'm also doing it for like, you know, a 17, 18 year old who has absolutely no idea what's going on in life and needs some sort of direction. Because, you know, like, as I said, with the ambassadors of the different social, um, I suppose, changes uh, like with um, uh, gay rights and with mental health and all that kind of thing, like everybody like going through that feels almost the same way. Being like, oh, well, nobody else relates to me. So, and that could spiral, snowballs even more. So if somebody has some someone to look at, and I'm not saying like I'm some perfect guy. It's like, oh yeah, my life's great and all this. Like, it's hard. Like I still have to remind myself every time I get up, I was like, oh, I don't have an alarm because I can't physically work. Even though I want to, like I want my own financial independence and stuff like that. I have to, like take elevators now because I get out not out of breath up and then stairs but if like if I'm out for the whole day shopping in town or something it's like oh I can't go up the stairs because I'll be too tired when I get home for the next day the whole lot like there's there's no one almost relatable and stuff and everyone can kind of relate to somebody in some way no matter what kind of age you are at the same time because there I met a friend Jared who must have been like 60 plus on the ward and we'd walk around when we were doing our laps and only for me I wanted to get up and prove to myself it's like oh I'm going to beat the record I the nurses must have made up some number I was like oh the record amount of things we had or laps we had was like 86 or something I was like I'm going to beat that so I went out and started doing my laps and then Jared came out of his room and was like oh what's that commotion because I'd just get abused and the nurses and like they'd be abusing me back so they can't say anything and then Got around, just caught in mayhem. And then Jared came out and was like, oh, well, he's doing a bit of walking, so I could do a bit of walking. And, like, I remember one, my third round, I had a conga line going because there was, like, five or six people got out of their rooms and the doctors were doing their rounds. So it felt like there was, like, 100 people on the ward. And we were walking around doing our laps, all at our own paces. Like, I was probably quickest just because of my youth and the way I was affected by stuff. Um, but people were coming out with their walking sticks if they're a little bit older. Jared was there. John, and even if it was like two or three laps, they still got out. But only I was like, oh, that's keeping me going now. Next round, I'm going to get more people out. And, you know, again, it was just defiance of like, if I can get up and show other people I can get up, you can get up too. Like, there's no, again, feeling sorry for yourself, pity parties. And I completely understand like people are affected by this in different ways. And, obviously lose a lot of people to it as well but even if you're faced with that situation like you're still meant to have fun like you're still meant to you can only focus on what's happening right now and that's what I'd be struggled with is the expectations of me looking forward all the time and not staying like actually being in the same moment uh the present moment I guess um and yeah just like actually enjoying yourself like you're allowed to have fun you're allowed to talk you're allowed to cry you're allowed to be frustrated you're allowed to feel everything like you're not meant to bottle it all up and be like I feel on your own because you know you go to canteen and every single time whether it's online or in person I've automatically feel relieved and just to know somebody else going through the same thing like I can obviously tell my girlfriend how I'm feeling I can tell my parents how I'm feeling my brother and my friends but they don't actually understand. Yet they are understanding of it, but they don't understand when I say I'm tired. It's a completely different tired to you. I have this worry of like a pain in my arm. It's a completely different worry to you having a pain in your head or something like that. Um, so yeah, having them spaces to like facilitate all them feelings and, and stuff like that is what I want to like create myself and like in some shape or form like I don't know what I want to do but I know somebody like listening to this or they read something online that I've written or see some talk I've had or um you know even doctors who come to them talks and I talk they can tell someone in a different hospital is like oh look up Carl online or on Twitter or whatever it might be or listen to this talk he had and yeah it's just like 
give that bit of hope and like um I don't know just yeah just hope to people that like yeah you can still enjoy yourself and still enjoy life no matter what situation you're faced with like you know come up to me and be like thank you so much for talking to my son or daughters like they haven't they're a completely different person and um, I remember there was a lad in Beaumont when I got admitted and I was finished my degree and everything and stuff like that but he was uh, I think he was 19 at the time and had to come out like leave college because it was his uh, is his relapse of uh, leukemia but he wanted to be involved in sport and PT and stuff and uh, the doctor or the nurses came in and was like is there any chance you could like tell them some sort of um like where to go or where you got your qualification or whatever and then I wrote out like two A4 pages of podcasts and books and everything where you could go and they had to photocopy them and give them to him and then they came in I remember trying to come in for a sec gee we had seen a complete difference in him like we couldn't get a word out of him room was always put curtains right there like didn't want to talk to nobody and then it's just uh, snowballed into me being asked to European things and podcasts and talks and the whole lot so yeah it's just like just if it helps one person then it's I've done kind of my job not that I see it as a job but well, I think it could very well be a job for you, to be honest with you. I think um, I think your your future, your future professional career is very much secure. Um, you have an amazing gift to bring to people. And, you know, absolutely, it's the path that, you know, for this chapter in your life, it's 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 fueling you. But also it's going to it's going to support so many other people. Um, so mind your energy, but place that energy when when and where you can into that work, because so clearly is what lights you up as well um and you know brings enjoyment to that you know I remember when in, in this podcast when you said they said look that's just going to be a chapter that you forget about a bad dream and you're like it's not going to be a bad dream I'm going to make the most of it I'm going to make the best of it and this continues that you know what you've learned and the mindset you had and the way that you overcame things and the way that you can now support others who are in those dark dreams that's that's still you saying to that doctor, no, it's not a bad dream. I'm going to make the best of this. And um, thank you so much for sharing in such detail today with us, like your mindset, your motivation, your commitment to yourself, like for somebody so young, honestly, like I'm, I'm bowled over and I'm, myself, I'm going to take some of that with me. That's, that's the whole point of these conversations. It's not just for people that have, that are in the, in, you know, in the ward, for all of us to take that strength um, and to apply it to whatever challenge we are facing in our lives, to just make the absolute most and to always remember that there's time for laughter. Exactly, yeah, that's the message I want to put across. So that's good. Thank you so much, Carl. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.